first ever fantasy baseball simulation podcast by tenantchase.com, www.tenantchase.com. My name is Guy Bocci. I am the webmaster and creator of Pennant Chase. If you have stumbled across this podcast because you were looking for fantasy baseball information in general, that's not what this is. But don't go run away just yet. I think if you're a fan of baseball or fantasy baseball, you're going to be really interested in fantasy baseball simulation. So simulation leagues are all about drafting your team online, setting your lineups and strategies, and then having the computer simulate the results of games against other teams. So much different than fantasy baseball, which is obviously based on the results of real-life occurrence, simulation leagues are based on stats that have already happened in real life. You build your team based on those statistics, and the computer simulates results. Um, So this particular uh, edition of the podcast won't be any kind of a deep dive into what fantasy baseball simulation is, but encourage anyone to go check it out at www.penandchase.com, which is completely free. There are, of course, several uh, baseball simulation websites out there. There's there's definitely some competition, but uh, I think it's safe to say not only is Penn and Chase one of, if not the best, but it's I believe the only one that's entirely completely free. So um, check it out. I did want to quickly call out a key distinction between Pennant Chase and a lot of the competition. What you're going to see in a lot of other sites is that they're built around fictional players and arbitrary ratings for those players. So, you know, this guy has an A-plus arm or this guy has a B-minus bat, and then you're going to build your team sort of based off these arbitrary ratings. Pennant Chase is very different in that the game is built around real players and their real statistics that they accumulated in, in real life, and you build your team based off those statistics. And by law, that is legal because real life stats are public domain. So um, the Penn and Chase engine is built off um, real players and real statistics. And that's that's a pretty big difference between uh, Penn and Chase and um, many other websites out there. I have always personally been a much bigger fan of that style because I I find the arbitrary stats it's really hard to comprehend how the engine is coming up with its results whereas um, real statistics uh, are are much easier to sink your teeth into you really get a sense for you know how often is a guy going to strike out how how often is a guy likely to hit a double or a triple or a homer right you don't you don't quite get that when you're just looking at fictional ratings like this guy is a b minus power well what does b minus power mean does that mean he's going to hit 30 homers or does that mean he's going to hit 45 homers or does it mean he's going to hit 12 homers i have no idea so um, i've always been a much bigger fan of games that focus on actual statistics. And actually, while we're on this topic, I wanted to address a subject that comes up all the time uh, on Pennant Chase, especially with the, the leagues that we have on the website. And the subject is all about how much should I expect a player's simulated results to match his real life statistics? And the answer is almost always in the leagues you're going to play in on Pennant Chase, almost always the simulated statistics are going to be much worse 
than a player's real life results. And the reason for that is because think about the player pool of the leagues. Most leagues that you play in are going to have far fewer teams than uh, a real baseball season would. And in most leagues, you're playing against a, an amazing pool of players. I mean, we offer several different leagues, all-time greats and best of the decades and um, even even best of you know 2016, you're going to be uh, going up against the best of the best competition. So it's going to uh, inevitably hurt performance across the board. You're going to find that hitters don't hit quite as well, uh, pitchers don't pitch quite as well. I think most people have found that it probably impacts hitting a little worse. I've always said that you know, good pitching beats good hitting. Well, I haven't always said that. Everyone always says that. Good good pitching beats good hitting. And that's really um, the, the philosophy that the pen and chase engine is, is sort of built around. I wouldn't even say the engine is built around that. I think it just turns out that way because that's the reality of baseball. And um, it's, it's not unusual to see that um, both pitchers and hitters uh, don't perform up to their real-life statistics. I think the interesting thing about this is that you, you would think if, if hitters were struggling terribly that pitchers at least would perform to their stats or maybe even better. But oddly enough, it affects both hitters and pitchers the same way, that neither of them perform to their to their real stats. You would think, okay, um, if, if hitters are constantly going up against the best pitchers, then their averages are obviously going to sink. Likewise, if pitchers are always going up against the best hitters, their ERAs and their stats are, are going to be worse as well. Um, but it, it's hard to sort of logically reconcile why do they both do worse than their real-life stats. And uh, I'm not nearly smart enough to, to explain why or to figure that out, but uh, that is the way it happens um, pretty much all the time. And a, a user... Uh, messaged me recently. Uh, he runs a, a 1970s league, and he asked me, you know, why are most of my teams 30, 40, 50 points lower in in batting average and on base percentage when compared to their real stats? Um, he mentioned that pitching-wise, things are closer. But even there, only three teams have better accumulated stats than, than real stats. And 10 of the 16 teams are significantly worse. And so my question back to him was, how many teams are in your league? How does that compare to a, a real baseball season? And sure enough, um, you know, he, if he only has 16 teams, that's about half of what a real baseball season would have. So uh, you're looking at, you know, the competition is, is much stiffer than, uh, than these people faced in real life. So uh, obviously, their statistics are going to get worse. There are always a handful of people who come to Penn and Chase and get really frustrated because they can't figure out what's going on. They can't figure out why this pitcher that was great in real life is getting shelled in the all-time greats league, right? And so what I what I try to encourage people as much as possible is understand the player pool of your league as, as best you can. You got you got to really understand who the superstars are in that particular player pool. Um, Willie Mays is one that I always turn to. Like, Willie Mays was one of the best players of all time, and it's frustrating to go into an all-time greats league and see that Willie Mays just really isn't that good. The problem is, 
Willie Mays, any single season statistics for him just don't quite match up to the stats that that other players produced across the history of baseball. So when you throw Willie Mays into an all-time greats league, he just isn't as effective. But you play Willie Mays in like a best of the 50s or best of the 60s, he's he's going to be a superstar. So it all depends on it all depends on the pool of that particular league. Another real key uh, distinction about pen and chase is that there is no uh, era adjustments happening. So you'll some some games they'll do things like you know okay Willie Mays was great in his day, uh, maybe pitching was much more dominant in his day than it was in say Babe Ruth's day. So we're gonna we're gonna jack up Willie Mays's statistics so that he's on par with other eras. Um, that's an intriguing approach. I personally hate it. I think it's it's very difficult to see statistics in front of you and then not be sure how they're being adjusted. And that and so everything that's done in pen and chase, it's all based off the stats that are right in front of your face. And I think that's really important. And yes, it does mean that, you know, Willie Mays isn't going to be great in an all-time greats league, which is frustrating, but Willie Mays is still going to be great in a lot of different leagues. So um, you just kind of got to kind of understand how the game works and every simulation game has its own quirks um you kind of got to get used to the quirks of pennant chase none of them are perfect none of them are going to produce results that you you're going to love every time i think one of the things i've really enjoyed about pennant chase is that um there's no there's no real way to master it it's continually challenging you you'll think you figured it out you'll go on winning streaks you'll win some championships and then you'll go on a drought i mean i built the game and i went through probably about a year and a half where i could not buy a, a championship half of my teams or most of my teams weren't even making the playoffs i was like i i, I don't even understand i can't even figure out my own game and but i love that about it because i think it it is um, it's challenging to figure out, and yet there is a fair amount of predictability so that it doesn't drive you completely crazy. I mean, in, in general, you know uh, who the good players are going to be in any particular league. It's just, is that all going to gel at the right time, at the right moment for your team to win? And that's what baseball is all about, too, right? I mean, the best team doesn't always win. The, the, the Cubs just won here in 2016, so 2016 was an anomaly. The, the best team did actually win, but that certainly doesn't always happen. And uh, so now that I made that perfect segue, uh, why don't we just spend a little bit of time talking about the World Series and, and what happened this year? I mean, pretty amazing. So I'm, I grew up in Chicago, and... Uh, I am actually a White Sox fan, so very interesting for me to see the Cubs uh, finally win it, and I, obviously I have a, a ton of thoughts on that. Um, first off, I think uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see. This was obviously a tremendous World Series. I mean, one of the best I can remember. Uh, the ratings were uh, as good as they were back in 1991 when the Twins and Braves had that epic World Series. And that was the first World Series that came to mind for me, that that 91 series um, is is the one that this 2016 series reminded me of. Uh, I know there was that, that great one in 2011 where um, the Rangers and the Cardinals went at it. I wasn't quite as dialed into that one. I, th- I think it's fair to say that most people really weren't. Baseball kind of was, was having its own... Uh, issues, I think, at that point in terms of attracting an audience. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, if this World Series has any 
lasting impact. You know, as the NFL begins to struggle a little bit, the NFL has just been so dominant uh, in terms of getting the attention of most sports fans that uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if there's any sort of shift. I've always thought that if the NFL stumbled, baseball would have a, a window, an opportunity to um, to grab uh, uh, some more fans back. I don't know that's ever going to be America's game again like it was, but uh, certainly there's there's the potential. And uh, to be honest, I have I have just a ton of thoughts about um, why I think baseball has kind of faded uh, in terms of relevance. Uh, I know it's baseball's doing very well financially, but there are a lot of other reasons why it's doing well financially. It is clearly not as relevant as it used to be. I have a lot of thoughts on that and a lot of thoughts on um, what I think the game, how I think the game needs to change in order to survive because, you look at well th- this year is going to be going to be unique but you look at recent world series tv ratings and it's a very uh it's an aging audience let's say i think the average age of a world series viewer last year was like 55 years old that is that is a big 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 problem um and so i have a lot of thoughts on that but we won't get too fo- too much into that on this particular uh, episode maybe we'll save that for another episode uh my other my other big reaction is of course all around you know the Cubs um, and and what this is going to mean for them and their fan base and and I've heard a lot of interesting comments about how you know we're going to look at their fan base completely differently now I mean they're no longer going to be the lovable losers they're going to be uh, you know they're going to be a normally despised fan base like everyone else you know it happened to the Red Sox where everyone was rooting for them and now they're just kind of this big big brawny obnoxious fan base and uh i think that's probably how uh most people are gonna are gonna feel about the cubs i mean i driving into work this morning someone was uh poking fun at uh eddie vetter and and the song he was singing at the parade and and how kind of annoying it was and i i think the rest of the 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 country is going to start to understand why white Sox fans were always kind of mildly annoyed by uh anything cub related so um it's going to be really interesting i'm i'm incredibly happy for uh, so many friends that i grew up with who were waiting for this to happen and i know how i felt in 2005 when the white Sox won it was just such an amazingly cool feeling i I, there's nothing else that i've wanted in life that I, that I couldn't control the outcome of. I mean, as sports fans, we have no control over this. We want it so bad, but there's nothing we can do to make it happen. And that's a really frustrating spot to be in. And when your team finally does it, the team you care about the most, um, I've been fortunate enough to see lots of Chicago Bulls championships, and I saw the 85 Bears, And uh, but to see the White Sox win it was just um, so amazing. And I know that Cub fans are now experiencing that same feeling. It's just this relief, and it really just, it changes a lot. It changes, it just changes the way you think and feel about a lot of different things. And um, so it's going to be really fascinating. Obviously, this Cubs team should be, um, you know, the the difference between this Cubs team and, and my White Sox team from 11 years ago is that this Cubs team, I think, is going to be competing for titles for, you know, a good half a decade. And uh, I'm certainly envious of that. But um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, really, really good stuff this year. 
um, with the World Series. So what I really wanted to do with this uh, first episode was answer some questions that popped up on the uh, Pen and Chase message boards. A few months back, uh, some some users on the site were actually going to do like a little interview, and that that never worked out. So I said I would uh, jump on here, try to create a podcast, and try to answer some questions. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm looking back on the uh, the thread that got started uh, back in late July, and um, so one of the questions here was uh, from Stuby, who asked, um, "I'd like to hear about the beginnings of, of Pen and Chase. I've read the inspiration, but..." When did uh, when did he decide to create this? What was the earliest version like? Did he almost give up at all? When did he know he had something special? Okay, well, there are a lot of questions there. Um, so, um, earliest version and when did I decide to create it? So, um, I, I grew up um, playing a game called Micro League Baseball and family and friends, we ran our own league uh, on Micro League and... and what we would do is, I mean, this was this was before fantasy sports was even a huge deal. We would all get together. I remember we, we would all be down the basement, and we'd have, like, this draft room set up, and I'd be standing at the podium as the commissioner, and, and we'd draft our teams. We'd literally pass around the baseball encyclopedia, this huge thousands of thousands of page book it's just this this tomb and and we would literally pass it around and people would flip through it trying to find players to draft that's literally how we drafted our teams uh and this is like as as a as a preteen in the 80s this is what we did and um eventually as uh, of course as the the internet came to be it was a no-brainer to try to start to take this league that we used to play online as as we grew up and and we moved to different parts of the country and it was more difficult to stay in touch um bring it online because what i what i used to do with those leagues is i would i would literally package up um um, a bunch of documentation every every few weeks or every month and you would get in the mail you would get the standings and the statistics and the box scores and you'd literally flip through it and you'd, you'd see how your team did that month you know and then you'd have to call me up and say hey based on what I'm, I'm seeing here I want to do a lineup change or I want to you know and so then I would go in and I would make the lineup change for everyone so it was completely manual, and we used to print out these big packets and mail them to people. It was just crazy when you think about it. And so uh, the first logical step was um, putting the um, putting the results online. So so the game wasn't online, and 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 the manager strategy capabilities weren't online. The ability to change your lineup or anything like that. But what I would do is I was I would at least post the standings and post the results and eventually got to a point with with a game called uh, Earl Weaver Baseball, you could export the stats into text files and then I could throw those text files online and people could actually look at their stats after every game and look at their box scores after every game. And so we evolved that way and then um, right around 2000, 2001 actually, um, it grew into actually building the engine online so that the games could be simulated right there, real-time. People could see their results as soon as the game was over. Uh, they could do things like like watch a replay. The replay, I think, came a few years later. Uh, but um, 
they could they could impact their team online immediately, change lineups, change strategy, and that all started to happen around 2001. And by the way, I, you know, 2001 was sort of the end of the dot-com boom, and uh, I had a fair amount of time on my hands because um, as the dot-com boom was crashing. Um, there was no work to be had, so uh, I was spending my time building this baseball engine, and that's really how I even got the time to to build the engine to begin with. So uh, for many years, we, we started to run the site fully online, our league fully online, and of course, throughout the years, people would always tell me, like, you should just you should make this public, have other people join, have other people create leagues. I thought, oh, that'd be cool, but, you know, that's eh, a lot of work. And so um, it really wasn't until... You know, four or five years later, right around 2006, that I thought, okay, this is stable enough and this is a solid enough product that I actually feel like people would enjoy this. And why not just get it up there and, and see what happens, right? So um, 2006 and 2007 were the, the years that I really spent building the site out for public consumption. Um, it was, um, it was a, a, definitely a long journey, a lot of late nights. I remember I would I would come home from work and I would just head right down the basement and I would just start working on the site for several more hours. And it was an exhausting time, but a really fun, exciting time. I mean, obviously a labor of love. And um, I really enjoyed doing it, even though it was uh, it was definitely a challenge. That, that question that Stubby asked about almost giving up, did I almost give up at any point? Um, that's a really interesting questions. I don't remember ever feeling like I was going to give up while I was building it. Um, certainly it, it was, it took a lot of time, but, um, I was enjoying that process and, um, and, and there were some, there were some crazy times when I initially launched the site in, uh, early 2008. And, and I can talk about that a little bit too, but, um, I think in terms of like giving up the only time when I really sort of felt despair, um, was probably around 2011, 2012. The site had been up for about four years. And the, the problem was it was growing and the infrastructure wasn't really able to handle the growth and the site was slowing down and it was crashing constantly. And there were there was a lot of database optimization that needed to happen. And it just, it was taking a lot out of me. And, and I was sitting there going, and, and at the same time, the growth of the site had kind of plateaued. So we had kind of hit our saturation point. You know, we, we were we were adding some people, losing some people, but it felt like the site has kind of grown to the point that it's going to grow. Um, it's kind of a niche site anyway, and um, this is what it's going to kind of be. And yet it was taking a lot out of me because I was constantly battling performance problems and database problems. And there were a few times I thought, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do this. Like maybe at some point I just need to shut this down. I really didn't want to, um, but it certainly crossed my mind. And then, and then there was a, sort of a technological advancement where, um, solid state drives became very common and I won't get too techie right now, but, um, solid state drives are just amazing. The performance is so much more amazing than the typical hard drives. And so once the site and the servers were able to move to solid state drives, it solved so many problems. And that was, boy, that hap that didn't really happen until probably the end of 2014 is when I think that move happened. Um, but once that happened, 
it's just been it's been amazing i mean it's been now probably two solid years and the site has been running flawlessly i mean it hardly ever goes down the performance is great the pages load fast um almost have no issues anymore at this point so uh now granted we could we could continue to grow and run into future issues but right now things are really stable so there was definitely sort of a dark period there you know around 2012 and it was like oh man this 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 is getting rough i do want to talk about some of the very early days of launching the site to the public in 08 and how that went and some of the craziness that went on there but i'm going to leave you in suspense i'm going to save that for the next episode i want to try to keep these around 30 minutes that's probably about all the time i'm going to have to sort of do these and and put them together so we'll see how this works out we'll see if if uh we want to keep doing this um thinking you know 30 minute podcast try to try to do it every week although that that could turn out to be challenging but we'll see how it goes um sorry i didn't even get completely through stuby's question but i will there's there's a lot there and then of course there were a lot of other questions that came in so i want to get to some of those as well and uh hey we'll do that in future episodes um so thanks a lot. Uh, this this groovy music you're hearing in and out. I just want to give uh, give credit to uh, Purple Planet, some royalty free music right there. And um, that's it. Uh, thanks everyone. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again next time.